You're listening to B2B Nation, a podcast from Technology Advice designed to help marketers navigate the modern B2B buyer's journey. Here's your host, Mike Pastor. Startups have a number of options to consider when it comes to marketing their products, including digital advertising, content creation and SEO, fault leadership, and lead generation. The right tactics, or mix of tactics, is going to be determined by a number of factors, including budget, staffing, and the market where the startup is competing. I'm Mike Pastor from Technology Advice. A.L. Katz is a former anthropologist and search marketer for SAP who now advises B2B startups on their marketing tactics. In this episode of B2B Nation, we're talking with A.L. about startup marketing, what 2022 holds for the industry, and more. A.L. Katz, welcome to B2B Nation. Why don't you take a couple of minutes and tell us who you are and what you do? So I'll tell you a little bit about uh, about myself and, and about my background just a little bit. I got into marketing pretty much by accident. I used to be an anthropologist. That, that it's, it's a thing. And I was a PhD student in anthropology. I saw my career in academia. And pretty much just, you know, as I was studying uh, for my PhD and, and as I was writing my thesis, I also started working as a SEO and content editor for SAP out of all companies. Weirdly enough, uh, you know, their offices here in Israel are just outside of um, where I live today and where I lived back, back then. Um, and they were looking for English speakers who could kind of um, take a lot of technical writing and turn it into something that is more marketable. And uh, I guess one of the greatest skills that I can say I got from uh, from anthropology is a writing skill. You know, when you write for academia, then there is a very strict editorial process to your writing. And um, you go through, through so many revisions when you're writing your thesis that it makes you into a somewhat professional writer. And I mean a professional writer, not in the sense of, you know, a marketing writer, in the sense of an actual writer of books and stuff like that. So... I think it really helped me in that sense. And I moved through you know, a few different jobs at SAP, but I did realize after about four years there that working for a big Fortune 500 company was not really for me. I'd rather be not just you know, another uh, cog in the wheel. I'd rather you know, impact real decision-making and see how my decisions and my actions really impact a product, how it turns a company into something else. And that's when I joined a small startup called Ad Engine. I joined it as the first employee with the uh, with the founder, just me and him. First, you know, it was the early years of machine learning, the early years of finding like use cases for machine learning, and we had one of the first use cases of uh, machine learning, which was helping publishers better understand how to place their ads on a website. It was really successful. We ended up selling the company to Outbrain. And then I joined a few more startups as VP marketing, which all had one thing in common. And that was I came in where there was really just almost no marketing infrastructure. It was taking a product. So we have a product. We have initial product market fit. You know, there's um, there's this initial interest in, in, the, in, in the market. And but we want to see if this is something that has scale and this is something that can grow. And that's where I came in. And I saw repeated success within these first companies. And then I decided to basically open up my uh, own agency and specialize in taking early stage startups into uh, a growth phase. So usually startups that have raised around, you know, anywhere between 2 million to 40 million, 
that I know it's kind of like a wide range, but it's not really when you think about startups, you know, two, two to 40 is not that, you know, you've got startups now raising 500 million, 200 million, 300 million, you know, going on IPOs. So, so that kind of stage is really where I thrive. And, and yeah, so I started out, you know, just like being this kind of CMO for hire for a bunch of different startups. And now it's a full-blown agency. We work with several different startups in various fields and we help them with uh, their growth. And that includes a myriad of different things, but I won't get into all that. But yeah, that's that's pretty much what we do today, um, uh, me and my team. So yeah, and, and, and I like it. I really do like working with the startups. It is very interesting to see the impact of, of your work. You are, you're probably on a very long list of B2B Nation guests who did not set out to get into marketing, but found themselves here nonetheless. And I think the one thing almost all those people have in common is writing and as we really? call it, content creation. But we've seen, we've had former journalists and all sorts of people who end up in marketing who never intended to get here, but nonetheless here they found themselves. Yeah, I mean, I found that, you know, I have uh, a pretty good aptitude for writing, for basically taking complex subjects and turning them into a story that has a beginning, a middle and an end. And also at the same time, being pretty analytical and also being able to understand like, all right, so this is what we're trying to actually get with this content. You know, it's not just about writing the content and producing a piece of content. That's only one part of it. The content needs to serve a specific purpose, needs to have a goal. And that goal is not just to produce the content. It is also to drive growth whether it's content that is based for SEO, whether it's for lead generation, whether it's for sales enablement and helping sales teams you know, with, their, with their processes, certain content needs to serve a certain goal. And we always have to keep that in mind. So uh, I've, I've found that you know, being able to do both of those things has really helped me out in my, uh, in my career. A lot of startups don't have sizable marketing budgets. They won't compare to what you had at SAP. Yeah. What have you found to be the most effective marketing tactics for B2B tech startups? So there's no silver bullet, really. There's no uh, magic solution. What I find is that it's really a question of time or money. It's what I tell pretty much all, my, all, all the startups I work with. If you have the time, then invest in creating content and invest in thought leadership and build a category around your brand. You know, like you may be the most innovative solution in the market right now. So innovative that people aren't yet really aware of the problem that you're solving. You know, they may be, it may be like two years ahead of its time. So you need to create demand. That's, you know, demand generation that the people talk about the difference between lead generation and demand generation. That's it. The difference is the demand's not there. You need to generate the demand. And if you have that time, then yeah, you know, go for it, you know, generate that demand, talk about, you know, what the future of, of your category of your market is. And if you don't have that time, which most startups don't, because you're working on a runway, right? You've got money from investors and that money is only going to last a certain amount of time. And by the end of that period, you need to deliver a certain, a certain goal. You need to be at a certain place. So you're, you've gotten that money and now you don't have a lot of time and you need to get results pretty quickly. And that usually means paid advertising. And that's, and, and you know, like I know a lot of startups, they don't like to talk about paid advertising. And, and when you go into, well, not most people don't, right? Because what is a good number for advertising? A good click-through rate. How many people click on an ad? 
And if you work in advertising, you know, if you work in digital advertising, that a good click-through rate on a digital ad is around 0.5%. That means 99.5% of people don't click on your ads. So if 99.5% of people didn't click on your ads, you're successful. That was a, that was a success, 0.5% clicked on the ad. So that's crazy. But when you think about it like that, like that's all I'm trying to get. I'm trying to, so of course you're not going to click on the ad. Of course your friend's not going to click on the ad. Of course the people you talk to aren't going to click on ads. That really doesn't mean that ads don't work. They really do. You're just looking for that small percentage of people and you're looking to get to that small percentage of people with a, with a specific cost in mind. So it really lends itself to the whole startup um, paradigm, the whole worldview of how startups that are VC-backed need to work. So it kind of plays hand in hand with, uh, with ads. So I do recommend that an early stage you do it. And in addition to, you know, this being a very scalable um, uh, channel for, uh, for marketing, very measurable, which was what you're looking for. You're looking for direct ROI. It also allows you to test early messaging. For example, if you're a B2B startup, I'm a, work mostly with B2B startups and you want to test messaging to a specific target audience, then LinkedIn, LinkedIn advertising is a great platform for that. I want to get to, I work with a lot of cybersecurity companies. So I want to get to CISOs, chief information security officers in specific organizations of a certain size in specific industries with this specific message. LinkedIn advertising is perfect for that. Even if you don't get leads from it, you're still going to get great data. It's a win-win. Even if you even if you fail, so to speak, in the sense that you're not getting any leads, you will be able to test your content market fit, at least, your messaging, and see if the click-through rates are good. See if people hit your landing page to engage with it. Maybe your call to action is not that great. Maybe you know, like you're asking a little bit too much of them, but the, the message could resonate, and there's different ways of measuring that. So yeah, if you're an early stage startup then advertising is definitely going to be one of the most significant ways that you're going to, that you're going to grow. What's sort of that next step, right? So you're getting good traction with your banner ads, even if it's not obvious from the click-through rate, your social ads are doing well enough that you're happy with them. Maybe you're going to optimize them a little bit for audience. What's that next step? What if, is that, do you, do you move people into lead generation after that? Or where do you see people going after their first kind of foray into paid advertising works well? So it really depends on the type of uh, pool that you're in. You know, there's a famous blue ocean, red ocean. So if you're in a red ocean, meaning you're in a super competitive industry, that the demand for the products within that industry, within that market is pretty, it's there, you know, that people, the demand's there, people are searching for it, people are looking for these solutions. They usually give the example of a CRM. So if you're just going into the market with the CRM solution, you've developed a CRM software solution, it's pretty clear what you need to do, right? You need to go in and you need to start doing advertising right away. The demand is right there. And just start talking about how you're different from other solutions. You don't need to educate the industry on why they need CRMs. Everybody already has them or everybody need, uh, understands that they need them. You don't need to educate them. And then the next phase beyond that, if you're in that kind of, uh, if you're in that kind of an industry, is usually around SEO. PPC, especially paid search advertising, really allows you to cut a corner and move up in search ranking in an artificial way. You're buying that position. So now that you've now that you've done that, and now but you want something that is a little bit more long term, evergreen, as, as some people call it, then the next phase is doing uh, content. 
and SEO-driven content and getting that type of traffic that is SEO traffic into your website. That takes a little bit more time. That takes a little bit more effort, a little bit more strategy to do that successfully. But once you do, then the ROI on it just keeps coming, right? It's, it's evergreen. So you're going to get traffic from that uh, coming in um, all the time. On the other hand, if you're in a blue ocean, you're in a bit of a bind because there aren't people who are looking for your solution right now. You need to educate the market a little bit more. So if you do, you, you would probably do display advertising as opposed to search advertising and try to find interest-based targeting. And then on you know, the, longer, the longer term play there would be to educate the market. So you would do, you know, thought leadership pieces, you would take, you know, the data that you have internally within the company information, you know, the, the thought leadership, the, the minds that are working within your organization and try and get what you guys are seeing as the vision for the industry out. And also whether you're in the red ocean or a blue ocean, you need to start developing a community around your brand, around your products, around your people, not less important is, is to build a community around your people. And the way to do that is to start engaging in the conversation. You, you can't expect as a startup to be a thought leader out of the gate. Maybe you're, you know, maybe you've developed a startup and you already are a thought leader. You know, that could be one thing, you know, you do see that sometimes. Well, let's say that you're not, then you need to develop yourself as a thought leader. You need to develop your brand, your company, your employees, everybody who is somehow affiliated with your company and your brand and your products as thought leaders in the industry. And the way to do that is through social media, it's through content, um, but specifically it's around engaging in conversations that are already there. You know, some people call it newsjacking, some people call it real-time uh, marketing, but it's being aware of what is going on right now in the news, what is going on right now in the industry, and finding a way where you can provide value to the conversation and doing that repeatedly over and over and over again. So that's um, that's that's a great way to kind of find success and, and again, create something that's evergreen, just like SEO. Get yourself on those B2B podcasts is what you're saying. <laughs> that's right. What are some of the most common marketing mistakes or misconceptions around marketing that startups make or the ones that they have when they first engage with you or people say, I've got a plan or this is what I'm thinking about doing? This business, B2B marketing, has changed so much in the past 10 years or so that sometimes things that 10 years ago everybody did kind of off the bat automatically this is what yeah. we're going to do, that not as effective anymore. So two things really come straight to mind for me. And one thing is that with, um, with, with startup, with the startup culture in general, and also with the, the way advertising networks work and, and digital media work in general, it really lends itself to experimentation. So startups, right, you get all this money and now you need to find your way to growth. So that means experimentation. Let's try this, let's try that, and let's see if this works, let's see if that works. And that can be a big, that can be a really huge mistake. You know, a lot of startups, are, they have that kind of like mentality, of, let's just try it and see what happens. And if it doesn't work, you know, we can always just turn off the campaign. We can always just switch to something else. There is a cost to that, and it's a cost that is really hard to measure. So you don't really know. It's an opportunity cost, right? So it's something that's super hard to measure. You'd never really know what that is costing you, but it can be very, very costly in the sense that first, you know, advertising algorithm, advertising networks, the way that they work today, which is very, very different than the way they worked you know, years ago, where you need to be super technical and super detail oriented with the way you run advertising campaigns. 
Now it's all about the algorithms and the machine learning and how you feed into this into this system. And you need to basically provide it with a lot different types of optimization for these campaigns to work um, properly. So a lot of startups make the mistake of trying a lot of things at the same time, not really realizing the cost that is associated with this. And what happens is that they experiment with a lot of different things. They, you know, fire in a lot of different directions with the purpose of moving quickly, right? Because startups need to move quickly. But what really happens is you move in a lot of different directions and you stay in the same place. If you don't have a strategy in place, and if you don't take that time to put that strategy in place and be very, very focused on the things you want to try and the things you want to do and make sure that they are part of a specific marketing strategy, you're basically pulling this cart in five different directions and not moving anywhere. And the horses are just going to be running, 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 but they're all pulling against each other and you're not moving forward at all. That is a mistake I see, I see startups doing all the time. There aren't a lot and of quick wins anymore. Right. There so aren't a lot of if you're if you're trying to go, well, you know, I, I'll do these five things and you don't put enough time or money into any one of them. Like you said, you find yourself right back where you started. Exactly. And that is the, the thing I mentioned before. There's no more silver bullets. There's no more quick wins. You know, a lot of startups, they look for what's that next network that nobody's on. Like, oh, we, we do um, cybersecurity for manufacturing industries. Maybe we should try TikTok because none of our competition is on TikTok. Guess what? That's not going to work. You're not going to find success doing TikTok videos for cybersecurity for the manufacturing industry. And there's a reason why none of your competitors are there. Maybe there's something that they know, you know, you should probably listen to. And, and that is also part of, there's this, um, with startups, there's a concept called an MVP, a minimal viable product. What is the minimal viable product that I need to create to go to the market and be successful with it? And that is, you know, something that's very important for startups because that is very efficient. That is very productive. You know, so what's the minimal that we can make money off of? And then we do the same when we, when we launch marketing projects. You know, we try to get the maximum out of the minimum. The thing is that the bar of what is a minimum viable product, whether it's a software product, whether it's any kind of product, whether it's a marketing project, is higher than it used to be. And I usually give the example of a car. Like when you think about, all right, what's the minimum viable product for a car? So a car needs to get from point A to point B. That's the purpose of a car. So we need a wheel, we need an engine, and we need a seat We need because we can't stand for that long. And that's it. So no, that's if you try and sell that as a car today, you're going to fail. A car needs to have air conditioning. It needs to have a radio. It needs to have electric windows. And today in 2021, that is what is the minimal thing to, to have a car, something that is defined as a car in 2021, 2022, needs to have all of those things. And when you think about your startup product, your campaign, you need to put yourself in the context of right what is happening right now and what is the minimal I need as far as creatives. You know, if creatives are that much more advanced, if you know videos is the production value is a lot higher than no, you can't just buy off of fiber for five bucks a video and expect to have a lot of success that way. You need to invest in higher production values and, and better content and, and better tools. So, so yeah, it's, it's definitely different than it used to be. And it's a lot tougher. What is it from a business perspective that gets you excited about 2022? And maybe that's manufacturers moving on to TikTok. Maybe it's minimal viable cars that drive themselves. <laughs> but what is it? about 2022 that you're looking forward to? 
Yeah, it's basically working from the Maldives and being able to manage an agency from an island, you know, paradise or something like that. But but no, yeah, Wi-Fi from everywhere. But seriously, what really I, I think is what 2022 and is going to be a little bit different than what we've seen in 2021, and that is of no real surprise, is the impact that COVID has had on tech specifically, industries in general. It's has accelerated the digital transformation that industries are going through. It has changed the the buying process of B2B tech, but I would assume B2B products in general, because if before the, the, the buying process was you get the buying committee, right? And they would sit in an office and have meetings and discuss this. Now with working from anywhere, working remotely and social distancing, the the purchasing process of new software, new products has changed. And I think it will be faster than it ever used to be. And, and once industries and especially corporations realize that, hey, it doesn't really need to be that complicated. We are able to do this with somebody making a $5 million deal from their uh, bedroom, wherever that bedroom might be, or a coffee shop, wherever that coffee shop might be. That makes the whole process much smoother, faster, and I would expect to see an acceleration in the enterprise sales processes in 2022. And that has a massive impact on marketing. It has a massive impact on sales. So I think it would be it's going to be an exciting year for that. That's interesting because a lot of B2B sales cycles were getting long before COVID got here. The buying committees were getting bigger, getting into double digits. And you would think that this dispersing those six to 10 people or whatever Gartner says are on an enterprise buying committee now would make it even longer because they're not as in touch and they don't see each other as often. But maybe that does force people to simplify on both sides. Look, I could be wrong. This is really a magic eight ball moment, right? So I don't, I don't, I'm not really a good uh, predictor of the future. And because there is, more necessity, you know, and people are working from anywhere and a lot more dispersed and they do have to use software a lot more than they did before on the one hand. And then on the other hand, you have people who are working dispersed once again. So that kind of combination, I think, would lend itself to the buying process being accelerated rather than slowed down. And I think before beforehand, we did have a situation where, you know, a lot of tech categories were getting very busy. There's like a lot of competition and a lot of products who were basically competing with each other. And enterprises were just like trying to, to create a process where they could sift through and make some, make some sense out of all of these different solutions and have a good understanding of which one is best for them. But now when working from anywhere has made things a little bit more complicated to, to work in collaboration and you do need the software to work in collaboration. So it's like a catch-22, a chicken and an egg. Where, you know, if we want to do this the right way, we need to get the software. We can't get the software if we can't do this the right way. I think it's just going to be a case of some, somebody just going like, all right, I'll just get that one. Like you would in a supermarket, you know, just like because of, the, of, of you know, you don't have that much time. You do need to do this a lot faster. You're doing this on your own. And it just makes things work a lot faster. Reducing the complexity of the process would be good for the buyers. Like you said, we're getting to the point where they just couldn't make sense of all the options. And accelerating the sales cycle as a result of that would be good for the vendors because they want to get to the revenue faster. So 
Yeah, think of course, about that, folks. All... <laughs> Look, a simpler all... sales process is good for everyone involved. It's good for everybody involved, as long as this and this takes into account a world where all the products out in the market are good in quality products. So if everybody has a quality product, then it's really hard to differentiate between one product from another. And you know, your decision is probably going to be a good one then simplifying the process and accelerating it is going to be a good thing. And this kind of goes back to, you know, the higher bar and the higher, you know, like people having to push out products that are at a higher level. And I think that's where we're going to see in 2022, we're going to have to do a better job. But if we are able to do a better job, if we are able to release better products into the market, if we are able to do better marketing campaigns, then we will see um, shorter sales cycles as a result. All right. What is your favorite tool? What is that one tool that you like to work in and you cannot work without? And our rule here is you can't say your phone because none of us can live or work without our phones. But what is that application that you just need? Today, would have to, it would have to be HubSpot. I do I, pretty much all my clients work on HubSpot. So it's kind of like, you know, it's, it's all I know at this point. But I do then and HubSpot has its downsides, but I do love it. I do think it is a great, a great CRM solution, a great marketing automation solution. I like where they're going as far as the roadmap, as far as, you know, like the products and the improvements and the features that they're pushing out and the speed that they're doing it in for the size of the company that they're at. So I think that, you know, the cornerstone right now of any B2B sales and marketing team is the CRM. And I think that HubSpot has the best understanding of how marketing and sales teams work together. And they've basically put out a product that if you'd had to choose one, one solution that every sales and marketing team has to have, and that's it, and you, and, and, and you can't have anything else, then it's definitely no questions. It would be HubSpot. So that would be my go-to. And there's your simplified buying decision right there. If you need yeah, there you go. One, <laughs> one app for your sales and marketing, AL Cats knows which one it is. Thanks for joining us on B2B Nation. All right. Thank you very much, Mike. It was a pleasure. Many thanks to AL Cats for joining us on this episode of B2B Nation. If your New Year's resolution includes learning more about B2B marketing and finding interesting podcasts, you're invited to subscribe to B2B Nation on the podcast platform of your choice, including Google, Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Thanks to the B2B Nation team at Technology Advice, including Amy Dunn, Sarah Sanders, KJ Pace, and Emily Whalen. Mnemonics in the Guild wrote our theme song. Have a listen on your way out. We'll catch you on a future episode of B2B Nation.